Hi, it's Joe. Hi, friends. Aislinn here. And we want to welcome you to the second half of Season 3 of Dinner Table Talks. We are so glad that you are here at our table with us, and we are looking forward to all of the great talks that we're going to have. If you enjoy what you hear, tell a friend. Grab a drink and get your most comfortable chair. Pull it up to the table because we're about to get into it. So it's a weekday. I came home a little early from work. I walked in the house. Mm-hmm. It smells so good in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely does. First of all, it's springtime, and that's just part of it. And the windows are open because it was really cool overnight, and we had a cool morning when we woke up this morning. But in addition to that, because all of my cilantro has now fully gone into bolt and is turning to seed, it is now officially coriander. So I'm harvesting the coriander that's kind of in the way or in the rows or just too clumped up together that starts to make this kind of powdery mildew or anything like that that I might be concerned about and turning it into coriander salt. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It really is because I use these salts when I cook all of the time. Yeah. So I use salt as a preservation method for the herbs that I have. And we've also been experimenting with some things like making poultry seasoning. So kind of like our own bouillon and stuff like that. But it's one of the things that I actually do like to play with in the kitchen, processing it in the Cuisinart and then adding salt to it. Now I also add other things to it as well. I've been adding lime to this one. I almost always add garlic. If I was in pepper season, I would probably add peppers to it as well. Then what I do after I process it all together and my parts are Generally speaking, three to one. Three parts, your cilantro or the herb you're using, garlic, whatever, and then one part, kosher salt. Exactly. It'll kind of slush down because I guess the salt draws the water out of it, so it gets a little bit slushy. And then you spread it out over a cookie sheet and lower your oven down to the lowest temperature. Mine does 170 degrees. I can leave it on for an hour to... The only real fear is just remembering that you have your oven on, especially Mm -hmm. in a a house where you have a gas oven. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you just keep doing that until it just gets completely dried off. And then I like to leave it out just for one night. And then I reprocess it the next day with the chopper because uh, it breaks it up into a finer mist. Right. And I've made what I call pizza salt. I've made this poultry seasoning... Now I'm making the cilantro salt, or I made the cilantro salt. Now I'm making this coriander seasoning. So I think I can start to play with it. I think if and when we have different types of fruits and peppers and things like that, I can use salts to work with that to make different types of seasonings and flavorings and things that are going to be better suited for chicken, beef, pork, avocados, salad, you know, what do you want to use these different seasonings for? They've got your herbs, they've got your salt already in there. Anyone can do this at home. Oh, it's very easy. And I would suggest that you start doing it because I'm always encouraging people to cover crop, plant, things like cilantro and dill because it's good for the insects. It's good for the companion planting. It's good for your gardens. But then you have this huge, massive amount and it, and it kind of breaks your heart when you've planted this and you know that it's sustainable resource that you need to use somehow to just constantly throw all of that to your chickens, right? Because you're throwing it to your chickens, of course. You have chickens out there that you're throwing your scraps over to. (laughs) If you don't have chickens, you should get them. You should totally get some. But instead, you're finding ways to use it inside your home. And a house smelling like coriander, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I'm glad to know how to do that. Now, speaking of chickens, 
I want to name a chicken. Yeah, these chickens need names. Well, especially this one. And honestly, we did lose a chicken, and she was a chicken that we hadn't named. Right. So, okay, we need to, like, give them some, like, ownership and be like, okay, what's your name? And I had one tell me the other day that her name was Betty, and Betty's a bitch. I'm not even kidding. She is. She's always squawking on somebody. If you have chickens and you watch them then you already know watching chickens is one of the most fun things you can do. And yeah, they do have specific personalities. And yeah, some of them are bitches. <laughs> okay, so this one newbie, she's one of the new girls. And she's figured out, and I knew this would happen, that they would, some of them would figure out they could go up into the mesquite tree. And if they get that high, then they start to figure out they can jump down. And when they jump down, they accidentally jump over on the fence. And then they realize they can jump off the fence on the other side, and then they can get to like fresh green grass on the other side. And there's this one bird. There's actually a few of them now that can do it, but there's one regular one. She flies the coop. Yeah, I catch her outside, and then I just torment her by going inside the run and feeding the rest of the chicken something special. And all of a sudden, she's learned how to fly out, and she forgets how to get back in. Right. <laughs> Suddenly, she's like lost. Then I'll go back an hour later to see if I can get her back inside, and she is back in laying an egg. Yep, exactly. So I've gotten to know her pretty well. When we purchased her, they called her an olive egger, mm -hmm. which is the ones that lay those kind of darker green eggs, like olive colored. They're not actually real olive, but they're kind of a green twig color. Sure. People buy chickens for all kinds of different reasons, and the colors of the eggs yeah. that they lay is one of those reasons. Exactly, exactly. And so, and we've got a variety of chickens, so we literally have an Easter basket full of colorful eggs right now. Very That's beautiful. That's what it looks like at our house right now. So she's an Americana breed, and she's one of the white ones, like Leslie Nope. Uh -huh. Leslie Nope was completely white. Right. She actually has like spots and speckles. And that we have two other ones that are also similar, yeah, yeah. Um, but she's kind of the middle one, the one that has like the most mixture of white and different speckled. She's beautiful. We'll put a picture of her up on our Facebook page. We'll and, do. And so we need your help naming a olive egger white speckled chicken that flies. Go to our Facebook page. Let's take a look at the photo. Come up with the very best name and submit it there. We love having you guys all involved in the conversation and talking back to us means the world to us. Let me read something to you. A DM that we got. I listened to a couple episodes of the podcast and love them. All caps. L-O-V-E. I love love. Y'all are fun to listen to and it's filled with positive vibes and not a bunch of depressing crap. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now. I switched from podcasts to music the last several months because the news was giving me anxiety mm -hmm. and given our conversation last week about pain entertainment and the vibe you put into the world when you yep. contribute to that i thought that was a fantastic bit of serendipity i'm very appreciative of all of the different types of comments and engagement that we're getting in fact we've sold some tickets for the may 6th dinner table talk salon. Yeah, go back the last couple of weeks and, and listen about this event that we're about to put on. The seats are beginning to fill up. Right. So we are excited to be putting this event on the first of its kind for us to do this kind of thing. Dinner table talks live this podcast, but you're sitting with us around the table. We will provide you an amazing meal, but the tickets are selling. Yeah. And it's not just about, you know, people complimenting us. Oh, although, but please continue to send that. Exactly. We like that you like us. So <laughs> <laughs> please continue to like us. Uh, no, but it's recipes and things like that. As a matter of fact, I ran into, um, 
Debbie Noble at the farmer's market last night and she was like, I need the spinach balls recipe. And I was like, Debbie, you just got to click the link, click the link. She's like, all right, all right, all right, I'll click the link, you know. But then a couple of weeks ago, you started asking questions about sausage. What do I do with all this sausage? I was having a sausage crisis. (laughs) And our friend and listener Pam jumped in with her answer to your sausage crisis. (laughs) Unanswered questions. Last week I said after we were done recording, I was going to go make Pam's sausage dish that she had shared with us on Facebook. Yep. Did I? Yes. I did. Yes. And it was good. I wouldn't say, I would say it falls into the category of like, yeah, don't do that to me a lot. Every once in a while, a nice sausage taco with the seasoning that you did was really good. Tomato-y kind of seasoning. That was really good. Well, then let me repeat what she wrote on Facebook and I'll tell you how I amended it as we go. There you go. When it comes to sausage, Pam says, I like it simple. Cut it up into one-inch pieces or sliced into circles, yes. Brown it in the skillet, yes. Add chopped green pepper and onion, yes. Smells divine. Then sweat your vegetables. This is cooking certain types of vegetables, onions, peppers, at a lower heat to sweat them, to get the liquid extracted without getting them done too quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. But when I was about halfway done with that, and I just eyeballed it because it's not a recipe where she put, you know, do it for five minutes. It's, mm-hmm. That's not how I cook it anyway. Right. I added a nice healthy handful of washed mixed greens, and you'll have to help me with what all was in that. Right now I've got spinach and all of the winter greens like kale and cabbage and broccoli, but I have a lot of leaves right now. I don't have a lot of flowers, so I don't have like big broccoli heads and cauliflower heads. So that's wilting while those vegetables are sweating. Stir in a can of diced tomatoes or use your own chopped fresh tomatoes Mm -hmm. and then add seasoning to your taste. I kind of mimicked but went light on a taco seasoning, a little bit of cumin, a little bit of chili powder, a little bit of paprika, a little bit of oregano. Add a little water, cover and steam for 20 minutes. Heated up some gluten-free tortillas and we had ourselves like a sausage and pepper taco. I really enjoyed them. But what I noticed that I liked the best about it was that the flavor and the bites of vegetable actually were the part of that that was flavored masking the fact that you're like eating this big giant chunk of sausage, which I like the sausage. It's okay, but it's still in that same like, you know, line of, okay, yeah, that's a very basic way to cook sausage. And we, everyone should do that and could do that and can do it a lot of different ways. But you said you were looking for spectacular sausage delivery. And so tonight I'm going to make the Zupa Toscana. We'll talk about that next week. And I also want to just simply say that the recipe that Pam sent over that kind of basic taco sausage, that is a fantastic recipe and everyone should try it. Let's do some other things now. That's what I'm excited about. During last week's random question of the week, you said your favorite word mm-hmm. was like. Actually, I said my favorite word was love, but I say like a lot. Most of us are guilty of using a few filler words in our conversations, such as like, er, and um. It's long been thought that this habit might be a sign of nerves or a lack of intelligence and eloquence, but it appears that is not the case. Mm. It's about holding the floor, I'm telling you. Especially for somebody that has a scattered brain or someone that might have called themselves ADHD. Linguists are now concluding that the people who use these words are actually more aware of who they're talking to. And they say there's two main reasons. The first is politeness. If you invite someone to a party and they say no without any of those markers, they might appear rude. But if they say, "Mm, well, um, you know, sorry, but I won't be able to make it 
then they're probably just trying to make a play at being polite. Mm -hmm. But where I think it's more accurate for your use of the word like, and as often as you use it, is that it's the speaker processing information that may be more complex as they deliver it. Yeah, of course. I honestly think that is the main reason. No, but it's a habit that I created. I'm trying to keep the floor while my brain processes from one word to the next word before someone can interrupt me and I lose my train of thought. And around here, interruption right. is going to happen. <laughs> oh, in my household, in the Jameson household, that's how we learn to talk. Growing up, like, you mean? Just f talk as fast as you can talk. And because if there's a breath. Can, that's right. Someone else <laughs> is going to jump in and talk. I'm part of that community of people that are talkers and I love it. Like I love it, but I do have to like go and sit in silence. You have to what? Like go and sit in silence. I hope that we can create the words to express the amazing meal that we had this week. So the other one that I always say is, and so we had a goat roast. <laughs> we do this thing, the test kitchen concept. It's not unusual at all. You guys have heard us talking about, we've tested that out and then we shifted and then we tried that and that didn't work. And we do it for the farm to table dinners sometimes and we do it for the long lunch club. And if we're going to present some food, we want to practice at the dinner table before we present it to guests. Exactly. And we've got our friend Robert Chen that is involved in the Farm Day event, and he's going to be roasting a goat on April the 16th. And so in preparation for that, he wanted to bring his roaster out mm -hmm. and test, which ends up making perfect sense because it always flows like that for the test kitchen. We meet up one day, we have this conversation about him wanting to roast lamb, goat, hog, Something like that. And we come up with it being the closing dinner of the first ever farm day in April. At that point, we've got this interesting collaboration starting. He is a home chef that is developing a business, a pop-up dinner. I believe it's called Global Dinner Table. Mm -hmm. So he wants to partner up with someone like us and do some projects like this. And we're like, okay, let's try this out. Let me attempt to set the scene. The most beautiful spring day you can imagine. Mm -hmm. He backs in his pickup truck with a grill on it. But imagine this one's about five feet wide, really low to the ground. And then a rotisserie add-on that is on both sides of the grill. And he had originally said he was going to get some lamb shanks. Yeah. But he did say several times, whatever I end up getting, I just, you got, you're going to have to do something with the meat. Whatever's left over at the meat. He's like, you should invite some friends over. So I'm like, Sunday afternoon, people love to come out and garden. I told you, I told my parents had just gotten back in town. I couldn't make a big deal out of this because nobody had the energy necessarily to commit <laughs> to a big deal. Right. I said, okay, Robert, you come, you bring the goat, I'll bring some people. And I sent a few messages out and said, we're doing test kitchen, come out to the farm. We're going to be doing it from like 11 o'clock in the morning till we're done with it in the evening. Show up and help me test this goat roast. And then he says, oh, by the way, I was intending on getting a 30 pound goat, <laughs> right. but all I could get was a 50 pound goat. Right. And this is 50 pounds dressed. So that means it was even bigger than that on the hoof. Right. So he picked up the dress goat and the night before had smothered the inside and the yeah. outside with his proprietary kind of herb yeah. spice blend. 
him and his wife, Sophia, had done this work. And they had actually just had a dinner party because they do private dinner party events yeah, the, that same home. night, yeah. right? She pulls out her phone and shows me a picture. She goes, yeah, this is what we were doing last night. And it's a goat's head with horns, like horns. She's like, no, this is a goat. And we were having a whole conversation. She said about, our kitchen looked like Dexter's kill room. <laughs> she was making all kinds of jokes. Like, this is not a cabrito. Mm-mm. This is a cabron. Of course, my dad, because Sophia's from Spain, and and Robert's actually Malaysian. So that's the great part of this global dinner table concept of all of that bringing it to the farm. Now we're having like the linguistic jokes of the Spanish language growing up on the southern coast of Texas. <laughs> yeah, cabron is not something you want to call somebody necessarily. <laughs> not down here in South Texas, unless you know what you're talking about. Now he had pre-spit. It. He had put it on the spit already. And he and I rustle this 50 pound goat onto the rotisserie. He's already lit it up at the bottom. He's got it down to coals now. And the goat is so large that it takes a good 10 minutes just to position it because it's, it's larger than the rotisserie grill made for this can even accommodate. So where you'd normally shut the lid, it wouldn't go down because the goat was so large. So it just remained propped up. And imagine it in your mind, a full goat Mm -hmm. just spinning. Yeah, he called it a conversational roast, which I thought that was really interesting because he's basically like you're cooking while you're eating and then you just eat and you talk and you have these long dinners, which is very much as they were describing a global dinner table. It sounds very much like what we've been describing as this salon that we're putting on on May the 6th. Yeah, another visual would be when you go buy a gyro and they got the gyro meat spinning and they're slicing off the outside. Right. Yes. And then once they do, what Except they've exposed the is continuing to... meat is like a to... meatloaf on no, a understood. Stick. I'm just trying to like make people understand yeah. that that's one of the ways that you could do this is since it's a rotisserie and the outside is cooking before the inside, you slice off the outside and what you expose continues to cook. Friends showed up. It's Sunday afternoon. And it's coming together beautifully. Yeah. And it has to happen in that like good vibe way that the listeners spoke about at the beginning of this podcast. No doubt. So as we're coming up with the plan for the farm day event, Goat Roast, he's asking me what types of things I'm going to have available. Like what types of things will we have to test? And I'm like, well, the greens we could test. And he's like, no, I think I could just, I don't, I can just do those on the day of. And then I said, well, I'll have sweet potatoes. And then he goes over and he looks at the buckets and he's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And he starts to like pull the big sweet potatoes out. And then he pulls out some of the little sweet potatoes and he's like, well, what are you going to do with these? And he's like, you're not going to plant these. And I was like, I've already planted everything. These I'm, I've made so many potatoes this year, grown so many potatoes this year that I have extras. And so he's like, oh, I've got it. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this pot of mashed sweet potatoes. The thing is, is that what I said, okay, we're going to make this farm day event end with the goat roast. We're going to make it easy and affordable, and we're going to make it a takeaway dinner. You know, so we're testing all this stuff, but he hadn't come up with exactly how he was going to most easily make something that we can just put it in a plate, serve, ready to go. Here it is. Sophie and I go inside the pavilion. We wash the potatoes. Right. I'm going to have to get myself, right? One of these cast iron Dutch ovens that he brought to make those potatoes with. He pushes pause on the rotisserie. So the goat is now still. That's so that the juices can collect and begin dripping. And he sets that cast iron Dutch oven underneath the goat so that the drippings can go straight into it. Wrapped his sweet potatoes like a baked potato, like you would in the oven, 
put those on the coals. And all those little bitty ones were really easy to do this mm-hmm, way too. Mm-hmm. Then he, that goes into these drippings, into this hot cast iron, and he just mashes it by hand. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know and what to expect. And then he it up, you know, he put his own seasoning on things. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect, but I have got to tell you that this season of your sweet potatoes, I have become converted to sweet potatoes in a way that I was not before. They're delicious. And we've made them so many different ways and put them into so many potato recipes or recipes that call for potatoes, replacing them with the sweet potatoes. I've got a flavor for them now. It was funny because every single person that that was here that ended up being here for the test kitchen was blown away by the sweet potatoes. Oh my God. Everybody wanted like the extra sweet potatoes. And of course the goat as well. And we had 50 pounds of goat. So everybody went home with goat. We also tried some liver. We tried some heart. And we tried testicles. We did try testicles. Mm -hmm. He said, Joe, what do you want me to do with these? And he pulls out a bowl that has the testicles in it. Cut out of the scrotum, the goat scrot. And it looks exactly like I imagine that you imagine that it does. I said, you're not cooking those? He goes, I could. I said, "I I can give them to the chickens as is. It's clean meat. You think I should cook them? I think that if you cooked them, a couple people might take a bite or two. Right. He goes, I'll cook them. (laughs) created some kind of marinade Mm -hmm. on the spot, lets them soak in there for a while, and then sticks them up on the grill. We have pictures of all of us. It's all going to be on our Facebook page right now. I don't think I've had Rocky Mountain oysters or any kind of like testicle served. Have you? Yes. I didn't know what to expect, what the meat would even look like, but you'll see a photo of like a cross section of one of them after it's cooked. Uh Uh-huh. And he's got it up, I guess, on the the awful tray. Right. The heart, the liver, and now the testicles. I just like saying testicles over and over and over again in the show. That's fun. And I cut myself off a little sliver. And I got to say, I did not go back for seconds. <laughs> the mouthfeel the mouthfeel and probably my own head when it comes to that. It's meat, but you're in your head that oh, I'm eating nuts. Yeah. But it was a fun adventure. It was. And there was this moment where all of a sudden it was like, okay, he's going to carve the roasted meat off of it now. And we take it all inside. There's a crowd around. This thing is huge. Now we're getting to watch a good chef carve up a, a whole animal. It was great. I tell you guys, I keep wanting to say test kitchen because this is just a test kitchen. This isn't even the actual event, but it was super fun to just go from, okay, there might be some lamb shanks and call some people out because there's going to be some meat you're going to need to eat. And then he gets here and we pull off this like amazing like spread of food and all these people are here. We're all testing this food in this amazing pavilion and all this great space that we've grown up together making these wonderful things happen. Okay, so you keep saying test kitchen, test kitchen, test kitchen. What is the test kitchen for? It's our second spring of really developing these farm-to-table events and things like this. So we decided to do a day on the farm. A day on the farm. Day on the farm. You're going to open the gate in the morning and people can come visit the farm. That's exactly how it'll work. There is an entry fee because we're going to do a tour in the morning and we're going to do a tour in the afternoon. And in the morning, we'll probably feed the chickens and hang out with them. And I'll take everybody around and show everybody what happens in the morning time at the farm. And then I'm going to do the same type of thing in the afternoon. Feed all the animals when they go into Feed bed. Feed the animals at four o'clock as they're getting that they're into daytime. We're going to walk around the farm and look at things that happen in the afternoon and the evening time. You're going to actually put on like a huge farm store with some of our great friends that also offer farm products. Exactly. I have been loving this idea of having like pop-up farm stores. I think the farm could be a place that has a pop-up farm store mm-hmm. throughout the year. And I've called in 
some of my friends, other vegetable farmers. Andrew Edelin is one of the meat farmers. He's coming and he does vegetables as well. I've got bread that's coming. Of course, my stuff will be there, all the nice salts I've been making, lots of vegetables as well. So I've got this cooperative farm store that's popping up. I'm also going to be doing a, a lot of people say charcuterie would be kind of what would come to their mind when they think of this thing I'm describing. Right. But I always refer to it as a plowman's lunch. And we've talked about this on the podcast. It's this idea of you've got a whole boiled egg and you've got some meat and some cheese and some fresh vegetables and the whole concept, maybe some bread on there. Something that the farmer would collect at the beginning of the day. That's right. So that when lunch rolls around and he or she is out in the field, exactly, they go into their lunch bucket and have these items that are all ready to go. That's exactly right. So we're going to be putting that out. So we're going to have a plowman's farm-to-table lunch. And I'm also going to be following that up with a small bed gardening class. And we're actually going to plant a flower together. All of us will plant a flower together. So if you're in our area and you want to just spend a day or an hour, come and go on the farm, come on out to our place. The easiest way to get more information is you can always just send me a DM and ask me specifically. Or, of course, you can go to acelandcampbell.com. And up in the bar up there, you'll see Day on the Farm. Click there, and it'll show you all the different options. It's going to be an exciting day. And then, at the end of all that, we've now got to divide all this food up because there's... So much goat. Exactly. So we took some portions. The chef took some portions. The guests all took a little bit of stuff home. I took some over to a friend who is a local chef in town, Gourmet Faye. I asked her if she wanted any of the liver and heart, and she was like, yes. And she wants to show people how she does things with did it. Did she tell you what she was going to do with it? She didn't, but okay. she, she was excited to talk about it and to show it off. She's the one that made the vegan menudo for the oh, Friendsgiving. Oh, for Friendsgiving. Exactly. And she uses a mushroom to make it, but she is doing some playing with this, but we did get to play with it. So the carcass, all of the meat's been stripped off, makes its way to our house. Yeah, you should have seen um, Robert and his wife, Sophia, like, <laughs> Sophia, woman with a cleaver. She's, like, chopping this giant mm-hmm. goat. It's so great. And it leaves us with a bunch of bones that we're, and we're asking, okay, well, what do we do with this? Oh, I know the answer. I mean, we're going to potentially make some broth. Your mom says, I want to make broth. You make some broth. She hands me her Instant Pot filled with onions and sweet potatoes and says, go over to your house where the carcass is and fill the rest of this Instant Pot pot up with bones then i do it myself so now on the farm we've got two huge instant pots making broth yeah so the next morning i see both of you guys pulling out the the broth getting it all put in the fridge and it's also monday which means you're going to be off doing your beer in a movie podcast Mm -hmm. mom's like i'm going to make some goat stew does that sound like something that we could use and of course she had a bunch of carrots over the months that i've been harvesting carrots so she made goat stew and it was fabulous I'll post that recipe on our social media. The goat meat, of course, onion, clove, celery, carrots, jalapenos, stock, red wine, olive oil, butter, tomato paste, tomatoes, and parsley. That's the ingredients of that stew. She did it in the Instant Pot. I took a bite when I got home late that night. I love that trade-off. Don't worry, Aislinn, you're covered not just for like a sandwich. Mm-hmm. But some like gourmet level goat stew (laughs) that's coming from the leftover goat meat from the full goat goat roast, which had occurred the day before. That is magical. I don't care what you tell me. 
Well, and here's an interesting thing that just came up to me. A big conversation that has come out of this goat roast that I've had with several people is the cost of goat right now, the cost of the meat. So normally goat is a less expensive meat, sure. but right it's now- It's not as popular as chicken, beef, pork. Right now, goat is a high, it is high priced meat, which is- insane and we're finding it everywhere and people my dad called the auction and when i was talking to faye the other day so when this conversation gets brought up and how much was spent to purchase this test goat right and then we're doing another goat roast okay it brings the level and never do you kill an animal no matter what the cost of the animal is and then feel bad about wasting the meat and the bones well and the you whatever. better not waste it because you spent so much dang money on it exactly so it's an interesting concept and i think that in terms of just something that might be in the ether of some conversations on farm and where do we get goat from and where do we get lamb from because this actual goat didn't come from our turkey hollow farm friends that have usually the goat and the lamb and stuff that we purchase where we buy our meat box and i think part of that is just a misunderstanding of the cost of what that those animals are costing at market right now are costing at auction right now i think that's an interesting point that is brought up this season and my dad said the other day because my dad's grandmother was a goat farmer we had a long conversation the other day because we got to go on a drive together, just the two of us, about his grandmother on the farm. I actually like to ask him questions a lot about her because I think that she's probably, of all of the ladies in the whole family, she's probably the one that a lot of my stuff kind of comes through her, comes from her. But she was a farmer for many years after her husband died. And goat and sheep was her farm, is what she farmed up on her land. Would your grandmother roll over in her grave if she saw the price of a goat right now? And she, he was like, oh my God. But it's a big deal, the conversation right now, if you know the price of meat. But we got this goat from Clara Bella Goat Farm. They're actually in Cueto, Texas also, just like our, um, our friends Turkey Hollow are. But they're a cattle company, as I understand it. But yeah, small farms. And this is a part of the meat that's coming off of those small farms, just like anything else we do out here at the farm. So now it's Tuesday two days after Operation Goat Roast. And you send me a recipe bomb in the DM. How does this sound tonight? Yeah, because I've got all these mustard greens that I need to use somehow. And we've got some more goat that we need to eat. You tell me how to pronounce this word. T-S-I-G-A-R-E-L-L-I. I would say cigarelli. Goat cigarelli. Mm-hmm. And it was it is a Greek dish. I do know that. Twice cooked goat with traditional Cretan style wilted greens with paprika, onions, and lemon. Okay, so an unanswered question for next week then is what is the Cretan style greens? Because you had mentioned that you weren't in love with the greens that I gave you, but I was looking for a way to use mustard greens. And mustard greens are bitter, especially when you've had snaps of 90 degree temperatures in March and April already. What are Cretan style wilted greens? Uh-huh. Done. Now, I already called this a twice-cooked goat. The first time has already happened. Mm -hmm. But the first time in the recipe, after you brown the pieces of goat, is to add stock and bring it to a simmer for an hour. I know that that process is going to continue to tenderize it, so I do that. Okay. Allow the pieces to cool in their liquid and then dry them off. Now, I've never cooked greens like this before. It's similar to how I made those spinach balls last week in that I put the boiled water over the uncooked spinach for about 30 seconds to a minute and then wring it out. Mm -hmm. 
Bring a pot of salted water to a boil and then blanch the greens for about 30 seconds and or until they're tender and taste good to you. Mm-hmm. Then you remove the greens to a tray and spread them out to cool naturally. They're still cooking a little bit in that process. Yeah. I let that happen. Then I squeeze the greens out to try to get as much water out as I can. Then I'm cooking some garlic in oil and just in the skillet. Add onions to that. Some of your green onions also. Yeah, I'm starting to harvest all my green onions now. Oh, they're so good. Add paprika, cayenne, and red pepper. Mm-hmm. A little bit of salt. Then add the greens that are cooled. Add those back in. And then I continued to cook them until I felt that the mouthfeel was right. They didn't taste too raw. They didn't taste too done. Then brown the pieces of lamb again in oil and simply lay it on top of a plate with a thin layer of those greens on them. Uh-huh. I thought it was really good. I was really happy about it for exactly what it was, which was braised brown goat meat on top of mustard greens. I thought the meat tasted good. I thought the mustard greens tasted good. And then I re-ate some of it cold the next day even, which is, you know, I'm weird like that where I eat cold food all the time. But <laughs> I told you the next day... In that bag of mixed greens, because they were mustard greens, but there were all kinds of other things as well. There was one variety, and I'm going to have to go through individually and taste them to see which one didn't agree with my palate. I didn't enjoy a flavor in those greens. Interesting. All right. Well, well let's give it an unanswered question experiment. Oh, you, you want me to go in greens. there like a goat and start eating raw <laughs> greens and figure out which one I don't I'm gonna like? I'm going to pull out two different bags before you make the Zupa Toscana tonight. Okay. And I'm going to let you taste some greens and you can tell me. I have a feeling that it's probably the mustard greens because they're very bitter. They're a strong flavored green. Like I said, especially when you get those pops of those 90 degree temperatures. I'm having to be really cautious and careful and watching of the way things taste. My greens that are coming out of the garden, Mm -hmm. the amount of insects that are on them, all kinds of things like that because of the temperature increases that are happening but they're not like consistent they like go up and down and then we have these weird winds and then we have it's just amazing the difference a month maybe a month and a half makes when it comes to seasonality because it was just five six weeks ago that there wasn't really anything coming out of the garden and now it's an avalanche and we have this i was say problem it's not a problem every year like More than we need, more than we need. I have a refrigerator full of greens and flowers right now. Well, it's also your ability to really make your customers that you deliver food to very, very happy. I do the best that I can. I did tell somebody the other day, okay, okay, we're in transition. It's the flowering and the green season. Make more smoothies right now. It's coming. The fruits are coming. The fruits are coming. Like the onions are starting to come out now. The squash will be here in a minute. The green beans will be here in a minute. It's about to be that time of year when it is, if it wasn't already nonstop, oh, it's on. (laughs) Let's bring this episode home with our random question of the week. So I guess it's my turn to ask that intellectual question. And I've come across this one I think is kind of interesting. If people are gossiping about you, what do you think they're saying? Are people gossiping about us? If people are gossiping about me, I don't care. Hmm. Um, I would have to guess that if people were gossiping about me, and I don't know, maybe gossip's not the right word. I want to live a life where there is no gossip. Do you gossip about other people? What is gossip these days? What does that mean in 2022? I don't know. Gossip's funny. 
I will sometimes catch, and it happens. I will sometimes catch myself going, no, no, Joe, you're this, you're you're involved in gossip right now. So stop it. And I will. I don't want to. But if people were gossiping about me right now or speculating about me, or they heard that I was up to something and they wanted to mull it over with a friend in that gossip tone, it would probably be about the move out here. But what about it? Do you think he's going to like it? That guy used to be Mr. Corpus Christi, as you want to say. What's it going to be like when he moves? But then we got a DM from a friend. It's like, I'm paying attention on Facebook to everything that you're up to. And I can tell that that was a good move for you guys. That seems like a very positive vibe. So I think that if someone is a gossip and they were gossiping about that, they were disappointed because, you know, gossip really didn't have a, a large positive output. Gossip has zero positive output. But if people were gossiping about you, what do you think they're saying? I don't care. It seems like a cop-out answer, but I think it's the best one that anyone could have. It's the answer I have, because if you're gossiping about me, I don't care what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Period. But if you're talking about me to a friend that also knows me, then I hope you're saying, is something changed about her? Is she different? I, I guess I don't think about what other people say about me. I think that the thing that I think about is, do they think I'm crazy? But I also have gotten to the stage of life because I it wasn't that long ago when I said, like, I don't want to be the crazy anti-AC. And my brother said, you are already that. And once my brother said I was already that, then I was like, okay, if I'm already that, then <laughs> see, I just don't align with any of the negative things. I if you're calling a... me crazy, good, because I hope that I'm giving you permission to want to be just as crazy as I am in whatever way makes sense for you. If me being outside of the mainstream is crazy, call me crazy all you want to. I'm crazy. I'm okay with that. I heard a quote once and it took me a while to get my head around it. And once I did and began using this quote, I like watching people have to get their head around it. And that is someone else's opinion of me is none of my business. But if someone's gossiping about me, sharing secret stories that they think it's the, it's in alignment with the pain entertainment. Like you're using gossip as pain entertainment. And I don't want to, not you, but just someone I, I, that I know what you mean. gossips. It's pain entertainment. It's the same thing. And so we had a goat roast. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. Do you remember Leslie Nope? Leslie Nope. That's my coriander alarm. I've got to go stir my coriander. All right. <laughs>